Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh yeah, baby. Hey, my Should man. Be, hey, baby. Little what's uh, up, dog? What's going on, man? That traffic was crazy today. Uh, I got behind a. I got behind some slow going. I always hate that. A little helpless. That's but hey, worst, happiness man. is a choice. In the immortal words of Judy Brown, so I'm happy that uh, we're here, and we got a. Uh, we got a wild and woolly Wednesday to talk about. We're going to have uh, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports, joining us at 1.30. And Zay, I, I did make it down to campus uh, this morning, and we, we got to talk to Adonai Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, um, one of the two guys I've said that I cannot wait to see on the field doing their thing um ad mitchell just unbelievable and the the preseason you know rumblings from teammates from team sources every time i've called sources to check in on the team and see who's standing out every time ad mitchell's name has come up it, it has not failed and so um Man, I cannot wait to see this guy get it done. And and I got something for you, Zay. I'm gonna. Did you know that his dad was part of a comedy duo called Arsenault and Mitchell in the early '90s? They were on Def Comedy Jam. Um, really? Yeah, they did. Uh, you know the the shows from the Apollo, and you can find them on YouTube. Norman Mitchell, part of Arsenal and Mitchell. And his dad is a freaking stand-up comedian. Now he's oh, running man. a healthcare center. Um, but okay. back in the day, man. Yeah, he used to cut it up, huh? Oh, that, yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, A.D. Mitchell, I'm too excited about him. Just the experience that he has coming from Georgia, being a two-time national champion. And it's crazy, like this day and era of college football. When you go back-to-back as a national champion, you're basically bat-spit crazy if you transfer. Like, who does that? You know, that was kind of what it was, especially with the, you know, one-year rule where you had to sit out. But nowadays – Guys win championships all the time, and they're gone. And A.D. Mitchell, he came to Texas looking for a new opportunity, whether that's just being more of the man, getting more looks. I mean, at the end of the day, Stetson Bennett, he was very good for Georgia. But A.D. Mitchell, he was in and out of the lineup because of the injuries, which I'm sure y'all talked about today in the presser. But, yeah, Chip, I I just think that – 
when it comes to Sark bringing guys in, when you bring in Gavin Holmes from Wake Forest, who was one of the top secondary players in the ACC, when you bring in Jalen Catalan, even though he has all that injury history, when he was on the field, he's one of the best players, not only in the SEC, but one of the best players in the nation you got to do that. you got to bring winners. you got to bring in guys with the right mentality to go along with the culture that you're already bringing. I think Steve Sarkeesian and his coaching staff, they've done a hell of a job in doing that while bringing guys like A.D. Mitchell. So did he talk about um, his injuries history and how he's feeling or anything like that? Like what other vibe did you get from him today? Yeah, I mean, he's been talking about how he's been in the – he's kind of taking a page out of the Jordan Whittington book in terms of getting in early, doing the extra work, the, you know, the hot tub, cold tub, all the extra work that you need to do to stay healthy, to take care of your body. And, and so he's, man, he's, he's amped. And I'll say this um, because I did a story on A.D. Mitchell talking to, um, you know, people close to him, his dad, Norman Mitchell, part of that uh, comedy duo. Now, do you know, like, Def Comedy Jam, that's before your time. It is before my time, but I know my history. I know Martin Lawrence was the host. I know it was on HBO, and I've seen different skits throughout the years from Bernie Mac to uh, Chris Tucker, Cedric the Entertainer, guys like that. So I, I, you know, I'm I'm game on my Def Comedy Jam. I might be a little young, Chip, but you know, my parents they did a really good job in schooling your boy when it came to Def Comedy Jam and Living Color. And Saturday Night Live and you know I love classic 80s movies you know Eddie Murphy SNL skits to Beverly Hills Cops so I, I you know I got a little old school game which kind of goes along with me being a historian when it comes to sports so but yeah man I Def Comedy Jam that's definitely my joint they tried to bring it back and it just didn't have the same aura as it did in the 90s and a lot of that has to do with a host like Martin Lawrence I mean he's just iconic and his show is still one of the greatest shows of all time. Martin, one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. So when you have a guy like that as, you know, the head honcho, you're going to have success. And Russell Simmons was a genius bringing out Def Comedy Jam. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was like, are you kidding me? But here's the thing about here's the thing about Norman Mitchell is that he's he's like. AD keeps telling us this team is loaded and that he thinks they can go deep like Georgia. And oh, oh man. And so when you asked <laughs> when you asked AD today, hey, do you see any similarities? He's like, man, we're just trying to we're just trying to get ready for rice, you know? But I'm like, oh, I know what you're telling Pops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's and I, I like that. It. I like that. You know, at the end of the day, he understands that, hey, now that the season is coming up, we're 10 days away. Shout out to Vince Young. We'll talk about him a little bit on the show to come on Chip and Zay. But you got to focus on what's in front of you because – you could easily get caught up in all the rah-rah that's going around with the national media, with the 
in city media, state media, whatever. Everybody is saying the same thing, and they know this roster is deep, and they know Steve Sarkeesian in year three with all the guys he brought in, transfer portal, recruiting from high school, et cetera, that the time is now. So I, I like that A.D. Mitchell, you know, just telling Pops that, hey, man, this team reminds me of Florida, but keeping it real with you media folk out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. When when uh, A.D. Mitchell was growing up, he was a quarterback. His parents were all excited about that. And and then he got to high school and he's like, I want to play receiver. And they're like, what? You're a quarterback. You're the quarterback. You've got a good arm, all this. And then they saw him at receiver and they're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Never mind. Mm -hmm. And here's the mm -hmm. thing. He was at Missouri City. And then his dad moved to Tennessee to take a job. And so he goes to Tennessee for his senior year of high school, kind of got lost in the recruiting um, combine. You know, he missed a summer because of the move. So he was kind of under the radar, under recruited. And, and then you had the COVID situation. So he was sending out tapes and Lane Kiffin came to um, that high school in Tennessee and watched him run track and was like, offered him on the spot. And so he was committed to Ole Miss, but then he decided, you know what? I'm not going to enroll in the fall of 2020 because it's a mess. It's COVID. It's so he, he reclassified and in, in like did all this training. So he sent out new videotapes or his, you know, his, his trainer did. And suddenly Georgia was interested. And so Georgia offered. And so he, he enrolled at Georgia as an early enrollee in January of 21. And the rest is history, but he was a three-star coming out of high school because like I said, he kind of got, lost in the mix mm -hmm. with having the, the move from Texas to Tennessee. And then, you know, he's the COVID thing. And, and so when he is, you know, then he has, well, he had his daughter um, who's now two Iselin and, and he's at Georgia, his parents have Iselin and he wanted to get back home, you know, closer to home and, his dad said, what, what can you say? I mean, he, he's on a two-time national championship team, but he wants to do the right thing, be a dad, be present in his daughter's life. He's like, how can you, how can you knock that? You celebrate that. So he talked about that today, that he's been much more in his daughter's life since coming to Texas, because he can just make the drive over to Missouri city. He actually had her for two weeks this summer. And, and so just, you know, an interesting story, but the dude is, ooh, he's a human highlight reel. I mean, you go watch his highlights from, from Georgia. I mean, it, it's like we said, it's a small sample size. You mentioned the injuries. Um, he had that ankle injury last year that kind of took away his regular season. He came back right in time for the postseason and lit it up and yep. had the game-winning touchdown in the semifinal win over Ohio State. But, you know, I – I asked Xavier Worthy today, what, you know, how would you describe this guy's 
uh, presence on the field. And he said, man, he just goes and gets it. And, and so that's, that's something that I think Texas fans are going to love to watch. Cause we talked about it a little bit the other day, Zay, that, you know, they, the contested catch has kind of disappeared from the Texas offense. Um, it, it's been sporadic. Let's put it that way. Um, really since little Jordan Humphrey and Colin Johnson in 2018, it's been sporadic. And, and so I think it's going to be back. I think it's going to be back in a, in a big way as a part of this offense. So, um, you know, here's a, here's a, Jay Ward says the hope is AD is, is giving these other guys advice, especially on the winning mentality and what it takes to win a championship. And they are listening. They are listening. There's no doubt. I mean, players have said guys been on two national championship teams. He knows what it, what it takes and what he's telling them is we've got it if we stay connected and right. And so, boom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd be asking, what's it like? Like, what'd y'all do? Did y'all do anything different than Sark? What's Kirby Smart like? You know, this and that. Any way to get uh, one up on whoever you play. And going back to A.D. Mitchell and the rest of this wide receiver crew, and, and you talked about that in your Horns 24-7 um column today for the contested catches, which go check that out, Horn 24-7. But, yeah, when you have one-on-one matchups, which Xavier Worthy definitely didn't have that last year, you got to take advantage of those. And you're going to see a lot of those one-on-one matchups due to all the talent you have around you, like point blank. And it's all on Quinn Ewers to make the right play. Oh, that guy's deep he's not open okay check down like the smart decisions that we didn't see last year in that roller coaster year we got to see that this year and that it's going to be open because again with talent in the wide receiver room Jordan Winnington I expect him this last year at the 40 acres this should be his best year a hundred percent like he understands what Sark wants for him. Like Chris Jackson, I'm sure understands these guys. I heard they've been watching a lot of Christian Kirk tape, which Christian Kirk, he's one of my favorite, most underrated wide receivers in the NFL for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So they're they're doing all the little things and all the right things. And Isaiah Nayor, you know, i I know he's not getting mentioned as much as Xavier Worthy, A. D. Mitchell, and Jordan Whittington. But if he gets that confidence back, I think he's going to have to get one big time hit to where he's like, okay, I'm good in the game situation. You know, practice is one thing. And I know this Saturday they're going to have their, you know, game like scrimmage where they actually pretend it's a game. And I think they go stay at a hotel and do different things. But yeah, I, I'm very excited about what this wide receiver room can be. I'm so excited about Quinn yours. And you hear about just the maturity and the progression that he's had as a quarterback, like everything seems like it's trending in the right direction. And that's exactly what you need. If you want to go out in the big 12, like you want to, before you go to the sec. Yeah, and we're going to be talking to Chris Hummer, uh, National College Football Writer at uh, 24-7 Sports, coming up in about 10 minutes. And uh, we'll get his take on uh, <clears throat> on A.D. Mitchell joining the, uh, the Texas Longhorns. We've got um, all kinds of little uh, comments over here on the side. And my man Jay Ward <clears throat> wants to know where in uh, – 
in Tennessee. Um, and it was Cane Ridge High School. Cane Ridge High School in Tennessee. And his coach, Eddie Woods, was um, Tony Pollard's coach in high school in Memphis. Cowboys running back, Tony Pollard. And Eddie Woods said, I know what explosive players look like because I coached Tony Pollard. And, and so he said, this is a quote, and I just retweeted the story I wrote over Horns 24-7. He said, I know what explosive athletes look like. And AD came to the first workout and was just killing the drills. So explosive. And then socially, he fit in with the guys right away. But in the workouts, he had a toughness and work ethic that was immediately apparent. He said uh, he can be the life of the locker room. He's a personable, fun-loving kid. I mean, come on. His dad is a former – well, once a stand-up comedian, always a stand-up comedian. Um, right. He said, but he said, but when he gets on the field, he loves to work. And when I saw that, coupled with the fact that he's extremely talented, I told our staff, this guy reminds me of Tony from an explosive standpoint. AD can move and is twitchy like a small guy, but he's obviously a big guy. His ball skills are off the charts, end quote. So um, check out that uh, story. I just retweeted it at uh, Chip Brown 247. Um, so Jay Ward, there you have it. He, he was at Cane Ridge, Cane Ridge High School. Um, real quick before we get Hummer on, Zay, we're 10 days. We're 10 days to Texas football. And there, there's no, there's no greater number ten in Texas football history than Vy Vince Young, and so, I mean, 2005. Well, actually, January whatever of 2006 against USC. How old were you? Where were you? What do you remember? Uh, I was a freshman in high school. I remember watching it with my parents and of course you know we were glued to the tv because michael and marcus both those guys being Bowie alums it wasn't too much you know they graduated oh three so the fact that <laughs> they were already playing for a national championship like we were just in awe and i'll go down saying this Michael Griffin's interception in that game is the greatest interception in Texas football history. Y'all could quote me on that. If y'all find one that's better, I have no idea, but that one's it. And that game was unbelievable, man. Like I that one of the greatest game in college football history and the way that Vince Young took it over, we'll never see anything like it ever again. And you know, just all of the pageantry going into that game from Texas and USC being one and two the entire season. I know the Horns had a little scare when they went up to the Horseshoe in Columbus, but they got that done. You know, that passed in the corner of the end zone, iconic by VY also. But yeah, Chip, that is just never forget you'll never forget that moment i'll never forget going to school the next day and just how hype everyone was at james Bowie high school and my teachers i don't think anybody did anything you got you know maybe i might have had a teacher that was an a m fan and he probably gave us a test or something but besides that everybody was just in joy and you know that's the feeling that i know a lot of these texas fans they won again 
and can number three do it? I don't know, but there will never be anybody like that number 10. And you talk about Jeff Fisher the other day, quarterback killer. Like I'm still, if I ever see Jeff Fisher in the streets, I probably won't say hello. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Chris, Chris Bennett weighs in and says, Peter Gardere was number 10 and four and over Oklahoma. Hey, Got to give our love to Peter the Great, but even Peter the Great would say that VY uh, was the greatest 10 in Texas football history. VY transformed not only a team, he transformed a coach. He turned Mac Brown from an old school, everybody be quiet on the bus, on the way to practice, on the way to games. Um, he transformed Mac by saying, hey, listen, I'll do what you want me to do as the quarterback if you'll let us just lighten things up on the bus. And it went from who's talking to flow sessions right there <laughs> down the aisle. You know, you had uh, Tony Hills, you had VY, you had Larry Dibbles. I mean, you had some serious flow session leaders on that team, I'm sure. And and you need to you need to tell folks your connection to to Michael Griffin and and Marcus Griffin. Your dad, Pops Collier, yeah. coached them in uh in on the basketball team at, at Bowie. That's right. They were a part of one of my father's many district championships, both Michael and Marcus. And, you know, it's funny because Marcus was the shooter and Michael was a defensive stopper. If <laughs> You know, if, probably not surprised by that, but Mike was only about six foot and he was basically a center coming off the bench, but he gave really good energy and you weren't going to go by him. And he was so athletic, you know, he could go up with those six, 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 seven guys that were hanging around Central Texas while Marcus Griffin, just a smooth stroke when he came in the game, he could get a quick 10 points probably in three minutes just from threes and driving the lane wasn't as quick as Michael, but, you know, he still could hold his own as a scholarship D1 athlete, even though Mac didn't give him a scholarship when he first got on campus, but he ended up earning that scholarship. And I know one of Marcus's most iconic moments was in that Baylor game where he had a pick six. But, yeah, man, uh, both of those guys and my brother are best friends. My brother was actually in Michael's wedding not too long ago. And, yeah, I, I've seen the Griffin brothers kind of grow up in front of my eyes. Eyes, even though I was a very small kid and I'll tell you another story Mike owes me a thousand dollars I know a lot of people who have heard me talk yes hello yeah I'm still saying yeah yeah I know we got a uh, uh, cold coming on a bit or Chris excuse me but um he owes me a thousand dollars because when he got drafted by the Titans he came back home and he wanted to play pickup with us at Bowie so he was like talking all this junk about how I can't dunk, which I was barely dunking by then, Chip. It, it wasn't the cleanest every time. I say five out of ten, I'd get it right. But he bet me $1,000 right then. I had to go up and punch that thing two hands. I went up, dunked it. But it rattled. It wasn't clean. It rattled. I was hanging. I don't think the ref would have called it legit. But the ball went in. 
the ball went in, and that's all that matters. So, yeah, I haven't seen that $1,000 since. I haven't seen the free GG cupcake. Him and Brian Arakpo got the business. Like, I don't want something. Give me a cupcake, something. You know what I'm saying? $500, halfway, something. All that money he made, but it's cool. It's all right, but I'll never let him forget it. You're not bitter. <laughs> you're not bitter. I, I'm not I'm not petty. I, I'm not. You're not, I'm not, you're not petty. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fine, though. Hey, you ready to talk some uh, college football with one of the best in the business? Oh, yeah. There he is. The one and only Chris Hummer. National. What up, man? How are you? Look at look at him. Sounding good. Sounding fresh. No, I'm not used to seeing your face out here, Chip. This is a this is this is weird for me, man. I know. (laughs) I know. Don't be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Um, we uh we appreciate you jumping on with us, man. We're 10 days from Texas's start of college football, but it's sooner than that for you, Chris Hummer, because you cover it all. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, we got we got Notre Dame Navy here in like four days. Like, just kick it off in Ireland or uh, overseas. So it'll be dope. Um, yeah. It's coming up fast. Week zero is a real thing now, y'all. Uh, USC plays that night. We got some uh, Hawaii Vandy action. Some Power Five teams playing on Saturday. Like, it's it's going. I'm excited. I'm tired of talking about football. Let's actually watch some. Well, who? Is Marcus Freeman going to make it at Notre Dame? I, I I went to SEC media days and we were talking about how, you know, the uh, the coach at Vanderbilt, if he'd have waited a year, probably would have gotten the Notre Dame head coaching job instead of uh, Vanderbilt. But, hey, mm. timing's everything, right, Hummer? I mean, I actually – I mean, I don't know if Clark Lee actually gets that job over Marcus Freeman, okay. to be honest. Um, Clark Lee, first of all, like is a Vandy alum, so that's that's his spot. He wanted that job, but they loved Marcus Freeman. They had a lot of other options there that they could have gone with. Um, they obviously lost Tommy Reese to Alabama, and Tommy Reese was right there in that mix, and they chose Marcus Freeman. Tommy Reese, a notable alumnus. I think if you ever talk to Marcus Freeman, he's just one of those guys that had a certain like charisma and aurora around him that people really love and I think it's gonna work and they're recruiting better than they ever have. Obviously last year was a bit of a bump in the road, but they brought in Sam Hartman this year, much better wide receiver group here on the line. The schedule for Notre Dame, but man, like I really think Notre Dame could be winning eleven games again this year, could be in the college football playoff mix again. They've got that type of team. Okay. Okay. All right. Chris Chris. Yeah, Chris, what's up, man? Welcome to Chip and Zay on Texas Sports Unfiltered. You got USC playing week zero this week. And, you know, last year, Caleb Williams, he was incredible. And people are saying that he'll probably be one of the best prospects since Andrew Luck coming into the 2024 draft. But USC as a whole, their defense has been an issue. When we know Lincoln Riley, it's trying to score more points than the other team and defense is an afterthought. How do you think Southern Cal's going to be in their last year in the Pac-12? Well, I'm sure if any Oklahoma fans are listening, they're very used to that Lincoln Riley experience with that defense. Because that defense has been the thing that's prevented him from winning a national championship but so far and it was absolutely disastrous last year i think they finished 125th nationally in the yards allowed per play it was just embarrassing and disgusting <laughs> um like for, i mean like for real like they lost to two lane because they couldn't get a stop in the second half like they just could not get a stop um that unit should be better this year 
Uh, they brought on they brought in transfers all across that defense. They got in former five stars like Anthony Lucas coming in from Texas A and M, uh, Mason Cobb, the linebacker coming in from o- Oklahoma State, Christian Roland Wallace coming in from Arizona is going to be an impact player in that secondary. But that that unit has to be better. I, I don't say this about a lot of teams, but USC's defense is even average. They can win a national championship. That's all they have to reach to be average. Caleb Williams and that offense will take care of the rest, but. We'll see. We've been hearing for a lot of years that Alex Grinch is going to fix Lincoln Riley's defense, and for a lot of years that hasn't happened. So I'm very curious what that USC defense will look like the first couple weeks. How about Willie Fritz and Tulane last year? Beat K-State, beat Kansas State, the Big 12 champs, and then somehow, some way, beat USC. It seemed like that final scoring you know, by Tulane took – took a week to play out but they uh they end up knocking off usc it's crazy and willie fritz is still at tulane willie fritz and michael both at tulane like willie fritz could have taken the georgia tech job this offseason and michael pratt had interest from notre dame he had interest from florida he had interest from miami all of those teams for him to be their starting quarterback uh coming into next year tulane was able to keep both of them and uh, they've done a hell of a job at Tulane. I think pretty easy preseason favorites in the American this year, right along there with SMU in my mind. And Willie Fritz has done an amazing job. He's been a, I think he's been one of the most underrated coaches in college football for a very long time. Um, I thought Kansas should have hired him about four times before they eventually landed on Lance Leipold. Um, and obviously Lance Leipold's done a great job there, but I think Willie Fritz, even going, like, I think probably y'all remember what he did at Sam Houston, what he did with the triple option back in the day. Uh, He's one of the best coaches in college football, and they've done a tremendous job. All right, Hummer, um, I know Zay's got questions for you, but I haven't seen you since uh, Big 12 football media days, and Texas has made it through fall camp. Has anything, um, where are you on Texas? What, what, uh, Tell the folks what you're predicting in the Big 12 uh, this season and what you see for the Longhorns. I think it would be an immense failure if Texas didn't win the Big 12 this year. Um, And this is the first time I can really feel that way about Texas since probably like 2010, 2011, when it started to fall off a cliff for the first time. But I really don't think there's any excuses. Texas got out of fall camp reasonably healthy. I think they are the most talented team in the Big 12 by a pretty significant margin. If Quinn Ewers um, lives, comes even close to his potential at a high school, that offense should be one of the best in the country. That wide receiver group is nasty. That offensive line. And I think that's what's really changed about Texas the last couple of years with Steve Sarkeesian. You look at the offensive and defensive lines. There's not just starting quality depth. There's depth across the board. There are big bodies across the board. I think Texas is ready for that transition in SEC play. And when you put the roster that Texas has this year up against what should be a pretty diluted Big 12, I think a championship or certainly expectations. I think anything less would be a disappointment. And I think failing to make the Big 12 championship game this year would be a bit of a disaster. Chris, do you think there's any way that with a bad season for Texas that Sark could be on the hot seat? That would be an interesting question. Um, I mean, Chip knows the pulse of the Texas behind-the-scene boosters better than anybody. Um, I think it really depends on what the record is. I think, I think Arch Manning is future-proof insurance in a lot of ways. Like when you have that guy on your roster, 
it makes it hard to get rid of the coach that recruited him and brought him there. Um, so in some ways, yes. Um, but if this team wins eight or nine games, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Steve Sarkeesian, but I don't think it would be to the point of him losing his job or anything close to that because of the roster he's constructed around that. And I don't know if you necessarily want that disruption going to SEC play, but if this thing falls off a cliff completely and we're looking at five and seven, six and six, four and eight, which I, I don't see a world in which that happens with this roster, but if it does, it's a different conversation. But I think if you're at seven, eight, nine wins, I'd be, I'd be surprised if Sarkeesian was really at risk. Yeah. And I think the way he's recruiting uh, the culture he's built, I mean, it would all have to burn to the ground in spectacular tire fire fashion you know, revelations about stuff off the field would have to have emerged because I, I feel like the connection, the culture, the recruiting has put Sarkeesian on some solid footing. Now, Mac Brown, what, took seven years to win a conference championship and then he won the, the national championship that year as well. Played in some Big 12 title games. Um, played in the 99 Big 12 title game in his second year, played in the 01 Big 12 title game he should have won against Colorado, would have played in the national championship if he'd have won that. Um, so we don't have any patience in this day and age. What, Dabo Sweeney took eight years to win um, a national championship at Clemson? So I think the you don't want the revolving door, but it would take spectacular tire fire stuff for Sarkeesian to, to find himself in, in hot water in my opinion. Now, Hummer, let's, let's look at, um, you know, what do you, what gives you confidence about Texas offensively and defensively? Well, I mean, Texas has one of the three best wide receiver rooms in the country and in college football in this era, when you have wide receiver play, it allows you to win games. I think they're the most important offensive piece out there, except for quarterback, their wide receivers are the game changers. We see, the effect they have on games, Xavier Worthy can obviously tilt the field, but Isaiah Nair being back, I think is an underrated storyline that very few people are talking about with the addition of A.D. Mitchell. I think both of those transfers coming in will be huge. Um, Jordan Whittington's obviously a proven commodity. Jatavian Sanders um, at tight end is one of the best tight ends in the country. Um, Texas has a bevy of options. I haven't even mentioned somebody like John T. Cook coming as a five-star receiver that I think would play pretty much anywhere in the country. He'll play at Texas this year. Maybe not. Maybe he won't make a huge impact just because of the people in front of him, but he would be starting or at least playing at 99% of places. Um, and it's going to be tough sledding at Texas. So that group gives me a ton of confidence. And then, frankly, on the other side of the ball, the secondary gives me a lot of confidence. It's been a while since I've really thought that at Texas. Um, I remember it wasn't. Was it Texas 2018 class where they had like six top 100 uh, uh, corners and safeties? And we thought... Yeah that would be the future for Texas and that group would kind of carry Texas forward defensively. And that just never really panned out the way a lot of people thought it would, but it's a much differently constructed secondary this time around transfers like Ryan Watts and Jalen Cantillon coming in, making a huge impact and young guys, like even potentially like a Malik Muhammad, who I think is going to have a huge role this year coming in as well. And that group in totality, I think is a huge strength. It was a huge weakness two years ago when Steve Sarkeesian came in. And Texas has one of the better interior defensive fronts in the Big 12 and maybe even in college football, some solid linebacker play. So if that secondary holds up, that defensive unit can carry that momentum that it created last year to 2023. I'm, I'm really bullish on this team. 
We're speaking with Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. Chris, besides Texas, who else do you like in the Big 12? We know that McGuire has Texas Tech, a lot of guys coming back. Tyler Shuck, he has a lot of hype with him. We know Kansas State, who actually won the Big 12 last year. Uh, those guys, they got a lot coming back. Who else do you think is going to be able to compete with Texas to hoist up that Big 12 championship? Yeah, if I was going to put the Big 12 in tiers, Texas would be in tier one by itself, um, which feels which feels really dangerous to say, <laughs> given Texas history the last decade. But that's that's how I feel. I really feel like Texas is in tier one by itself this year. And then I would have four other teams like in that next group that I think are capable of winning the Big 12 or at least reaching the Big 12 championship game. It's Kansas State, it's Oklahoma, it's TCU, and it's Texas Tech. I think those four teams, depending on how their seasons go, depending on how things break, have a legitimate chance of competing for a conference title. I would love to tell you which one of those four is going to do it. I'm uncertain. I go back and forth on the second team in the Big 12 all the time. I think Oklahoma has the highest ceiling, but I worry about their wide receiver group um, a lot. I think you need to have vertical playmakers in Jeff Levy's system to be successful, and I don't see any of those in Oklahoma's roster, at least proven entities right now. That makes me worry. Um, so does their defense. Kansas State, I don't really know how repeatable last year was. They lost a ton of guys off that offense and defense. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn. Um, they had some close game luck as well. I think TCU is being overlooked considerably right now. I think Chandler Morris is capable of doing what Max Duggan did last year. There's a reason why Chandler Morris started over Max Duggan a year ago to open the year. And TCU, I think, is going to have – a top three defense in the Big 12 uh, to kind of counteract some of that. They just have to replace some of their offensive pieces. And it's hard not to get a whiff of that Joey McGuire hype and just run through a wall because everybody wants to do that for Joey McGuire. And I think Texas Tech is going to be really dangerous this year. I think it's going to be one of those four teams in Texas. I just don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky. Um, Central Florida is is intriguing to me as well. You know, if John Rice Plumley can stay healthy, he's a he's a dynamic dual threat guy he's I was talking to him at big 12 football media days he's not that big Hummer I mean he I mean I don't know I don't know for a running quarterback he's he looks baseball player yeah he's a baseball player he's he's built like an outfielder man like he's built like a big outfielder and that's that's what he is but in the open field he's as dynamic as they come um he was playing i think it, i might be getting my uh, timeline confused but he was like literally splitting snaps with matt corral back in the day at Ole miss he's been around that long i believe that's correct it was matt corral the quarterback just preceded him and then he transferred to ucf with gus he's i think going on a six year but like when you put him in the open field he's dynamic as they come and gus smells on success like gus wants went to a national championship game with a former defensive back playing quarterback like these are the type of dudes that really thrive in his system and i agree ucf is dangerous i i worry about ucs depth though they're starting to recruit like a big 12 team and in some cases thanks to cam martin their new running backs coach 25 year old a former texas target back in the day in the 2016 class actually they're really bringing in some studs but i don't know if they have the depth if a couple injuries happen in the wrong place but UCF is definitely the type of team that I can see upsetting two or three of those teams in the top five that we talked about. I just don't know if they'll have the long-term momentum to carry that through throughout Big 12 play. Well, we got to talk to Chris Hummer, national college football writer, 24-7 sports. Got to ask you about your take on Alabama because 
obviously that game September 9th in Tuscaloosa is going to be a, a potential uh, barometer for, for one of these teams in terms of their uh, outlook for the rest of the season. What's your take on Alabama at this point? I think this is going to be an Alabama team that is much closer to the teams that we saw in the early 2010s and the late 2000s than anything we've seen in recent years. Um, all the attention's focused on quarterback there, but I think they're going to have one of the better offensive lines in college football, top five unit. I think they're going to have one of the better running back rooms in college football, top five unit. And I think they're going to have improved receiver play. And that running game is going to be the focal point of Alabama. Um, the, the notes on the quarterback battle there haven't been exactly positive. Um, I don't know if it'll be Jalen Monroe or Ty Simpson at the end of the day. I think it's going to be those two guys. I think I might give the slight edge to Jalen Monroe right now, uh, but it's very tight. Um, they just have to be okay for Alabama to be successful. They can't hurt their team. Um, where Alabama is going to get in trouble is if they start throwing interceptions. But this is going to be an old-school Alabama team. That defense is going to have to carry the day a little bit. They're going to have to carry their water, um, which is difficult given that they might be starting a true freshman safety. Um, they don't have quite as much depth on the interior defensive line as you'd expect coming out of Alabama, at least compared to recent years. Um, I think this could, be a, this could be a down year for Alabama. I think they're over-under 10.5. I would take the under right now. But that, that makes them no less dangerous um, in Week 2 um, in Tuscaloosa for sure. But I, I think this is – as vulnerable as Alabama has been in a very long time. Yeah. This, so this Alabama team will look more like the Oh nine team that Texas faced when they had Mark Ingram and Hightower Hacker running Roy. it down Texas's throat. Yeah. Not, not that talented, but I think, I think I would be surprised if Alabama threw it more than 20 times against Texas in week two. I think it's going to be 40, 50 rushes. Um, I think that's going to dictate how this game goes. Texas is going to have to buckle the chin straps the interior of the defensive line is going to have to step up and really make an impact. Like they did a lot of last season, like Texas moved the line of scrimmage consistently last year on the interior. And if Texas can do that against Alabama against what I think is a pretty elite offensive line, like they'll have a great chance in that game. Cause I, I just really don't think um, Jalen Monroe or Ty Simpson are going to have a particularly long leash with Tommy Reese to stretch the field and try to make vertical plays. I think they're going to really play a self-contained offensive football game. And it's going to be up to, Texas slow down the running game and make plays offensively. Well, yeah, when Chris, you, Oh, go ahead, Zay. Yeah, Chris, not only do you have to buckle those chin straps for September 9th, you're going to have the tape, the shoes, and get the neck rolls like back in the old school days. That's <laughs> going to be a slobber knocker game. But let's, let's go to Big Ten a little bit because everybody thinks that it's just going to be Michigan with Ohio State. C.J. Stroud's not there anymore. They got a quarterback battle there for Ryan Day. And Hudson Card actually is now in the Big Ten for Purdue. We know Matt Rule's there for Nebraska. But at the end of the day, it seems like it's Hardball's team to lose with Michigan. How do you think the Big Ten's going to look? I mean, I think the Big Ten has – it's not that different than past years. I think there are three teams that can win. It's Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. I think people are underlook, really overlooking Penn State this year. I think Penn State's going to be better in 2024, but this is a really, really intriguing Penn State team. Um, they have two of the best corners in college football, including Kalen King, um, who I think is going to be a top 15 pick next year. They have one of the best linebacker units in college football. They have one of the best edge rushing groups in college football. They are – they have playmakers at every level of that defense. 
They have one of the best running back tandem in college football. They have one of their better offensive line units in years. If Drew Aller, the former number one overall quarterback from the 2022 class, can be like what we projected him to be, I think Penn State is really dangerous. I would still pick Michigan this year. I think Michigan could potentially have 15 to 20 draft picks off of this team. Maybe not a ton of first-rounders, but a ton of draft picks. It's a really talented Michigan unit. Um, but I would watch out for Penn State. I think Penn State has the ability to make some noise this year, and um, people are probably sleeping on them a little bit. And I'm probably sleeping on Ohio State. If Kyle McCord is who I think he's going to be, or at least who the people around Ohio State think he'll be. Ohio State will be equally as dangerous. I think they have three legitimate top ten teams in Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, and it's going to be that annual Big Ten East slugfest that we usually have. All right, so we got to ask you about the Aggies because – you got uh, Jimbo Fisher and all the, you know, there's just this weird buzz that if he doesn't get it together and he and Bobby Petrino make sweet music together this season, that AM and the 12th Man Foundation might be ready to pony up $73 million to get rid of the guy, for God's sake. Um, what's your take on the Aggies, Chris Hummer? They have to be better, right? Like you just, you have to think they're better. They're uh, my, one of my favorite stats is the, there hasn't been since I think 2010, every team, every one overall class, I'm butchering the stat, every number one overall class since 2010, I believe has won a national championship. It helps that the large majority of those have come from Alabama and Georgia. Um, they tend to win national championships but every number one overall class over the last decade has won a national championship. Anum had the number one overall class in 2022. I do not expect this team to win a national championship this year. But Anum, with the schedule they have and the talent they have on that roster, they return, I think, 17 or 18 starters. Connor Weigman should be an updated, upgraded quarterback. They have more wide receiver talent than they have in years. They have the deepest front seven in college football, arguably outside of potentially Georgia. This team should be better. And I think there's I think there's a bit of confidence coming out of College Station right now. It's been a um it's been an interesting and in some ways tragic offseason. They lost tragically lost Terry Price a couple months ago, um, their defensive line coach. Um there's a lot of intrigue in that coaching staff alone. Um with I mean, you got you got Jimbo Fisher, Bobby Petrino, DJ Durkin, and Steve Adazio all on the same staff. That is a that is a combustible mix, but I think people around there are quietly confident they're going to be better. Um, I would put the over-under for AM at eight wins. I would take the over. I think AM is going to be a nine or ten win team this year. I could I be I could be very wrong, but I think Jimbo Fisher is going to let Bobby Petrino do what he does, and Bobby Petrino is one of the best offensive minds in college football. Um, and I, I think AM could be in for a bounce back year. Yeah, I, I I may be like under the influence of Connor Wegman's performance against LSU at the end of last season, but I I mean it's obviously a ton on that kid's shoulders. But I like I like what I've seen from Connor Wegman and I my God their receiver room Evan Stewart and Ias Smith they've got they got one of the better receiver rooms in uh, college football as well. All right, Hummer, I know we're keeping you probably longer than we should have, but. Um, your final four for the college football playoff? Oh, I haven't even. I haven't even made that. I mean, off the top of my head, it would probably be – it'd probably be Michigan, Georgia, 
USC, and then I maybe Texas, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe Texas, man. Yeah. Um, I would be between Texas and Florida State for that last spot. Um, okay. I don't think maybe LSU. I could see two teams coming out of the SEC this year, but yeah, I would go. I would go USC, uh, Georgia, Michigan, Texas, LSU, or Florida State. Um, I haven't really figured that out, but I might as well swing big with Texas because I really do think Texas has that type of team. I don't know if they have a team that's going to win a national championship this year, but I think they have a team that can be in the mix. Yeah. Last one for me, Chris, before we let you go. Real quick, real easy. Not name Caleb Williams. Who wins the Heisman this year? Um, I think Jordan Travis would be my first choice, uh, Florida State's quarterback. I think, I think if you're looking for value, Jordan Travis and Quinn Ewers are the value because I think they are on teams that people are on the come up and have a lot of talent around them. But uh, I, I would let's go with Jordan Travis. I think Florida State has more depth, top end depth than anybody in the country outside of Georgia, Michigan, and Ohio State and Alabama. I think Florida State's going to have a great year. I think Jordan Travis could be in for a Heisman Trophy caliber season. Yeah, I, there it is. I, I know you're. I know you're reaching for the Tom Summer when you say stuff like Texas and the college football playoff because of the battered fans. Yeah, this is this isn't being recorded live or anything, right? We're good. Right. No, no, no. One is. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, but yeah, I get it because we've seen the the jump that quarterbacks have had in, in Steve Sarkeesian's offense and his pedigree with offensive skill, talent quarterbacks, it's, it's all set up if Texas can stay healthy and, and build on this, uh, this culture that they, they think they have. My, my biggest concern with Texas is probably running the football in critical situations, running the football in the fourth quarter when you're trying to protect a lead running the ball when the defense knows you're going to run the ball. And that's the part, you know, you bring in Paul Christ, the former Wisconsin power running guru to help with that situation. But Sarkeesian has to listen too. I mean, we saw it last year in the TCU game and Oklahoma state game too. Steve Sarkeesian, I think, um, when the chips are down, he's going to throw the ball. I mean, he's a pass-first offensive coordinator at the end of the day. He's as balanced as he wants to be. But we saw in those games when he felt like he needed to make something happen, they just threw the ball, despite the fact that they had somebody who is already being talked about as one of the top five running backs in the NFL on the roster. Um, they kept throwing the football with Quinn Ewers. And uh, I think you have to learn to keep that in check for sure. I agree with what you said, Chip. I'll be, I'll be interested there. I also think Texas, like, frankly – Still have some questions along the edge um, that need to be answered. I think if you lose somebody like Kelvin Banks, you can't replace that type of player at offensive tackle with the depth Texas has. I do worry a little bit about linebacker for Texas, um, and I'm curious how that running back rotation will fare out. But those are like minor nits uh, for Texas, and in years past, they have major, major concerns across the board. And I guess. I guess we need to mention Quinn Ewers uh, struggled at times last year too, but I'm pretty confident Quinn Ewers is going to have a bounce back um, based on everything I've heard. So I'll, I'll be curious about how the season goes for sure. You want to give that stat one more run on the Aggies? The 
the teams that have had the number one recruiting class have done how many how many times have they gone on to win the national title? Well, I, I don't know the year. I think it's like it's somewhere between I think it might have been 2012 since 2012 or since 2011. Every number one overall class. So every class that had the number one ranking and the 24-7 uh, t- uh, composite rankings for the recruiting class of the year has went on to win the national championship. Every single go, one. The Aggies love me. They're always listening. <laughs> I just want them to feel, you know, however they feel about that. Uh, Hummer, you're the best, man. Really appreciate the time. We know you're going 100 miles an hour. Uh, but thanks for joining Chip and Zay, man. Thanks, Chris. Anytime. I appreciate you having me on. All right. There he is. Chris Hummer. All right, Zay. Great Some stuff. stuff to chew on there, my friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I wish we could have talked to him a little bit more about Florida State because I don't think they're getting the respect that they deserve. Like Chris is absolutely right. They have a lot of guys there that can make something happen. And we know that ACC is definitely not the SEC, the Big Ten or hell, maybe even the Big 12. We know Clemson's there and Mac Brown does his thing at Chapel Hill. But Florida State, they, they kind of look like the Florida State back in the 90s with when Bobby was over on the sidelines and stuff, and they had guys like Derek Brooks and Deion Sanders. Like, Florida State has some dudes. Well, that's our, that's our Labor Day Sunday night special. So Labor Day weekend, September 3rd, obviously. Um, LSU at Florida State. Actually, that's in Orlando. Sorry. 6.30 on ABC, LSU, Florida State meeting in the uh, Camping World Stadium in Orlando. That's going to tell us a lot about both of those teams because you just had Chris Hummer uh, mentioning that he could, you know, he likes Michigan, Georgia, and USC, but said Texas, Florida State, or LSU could fill out his fourth college football playoff spot. So boom, there you go. Kind of like the Texas Alabama game. You've got, you got a Florida state LSU game in uh, again on Sunday. Um, that that's going to tell a lot. And I, I can't wait to see that game. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. Like that's a great way to start the season and yeah, college football, it's right around the corner. And this is one of the, best times of the year but uh, we're halfway in let's give a shout out to our sponsors syntex ticket shout out to shelby 7-eleven go get yourself a slurpee relax the back relaxed in a beautiful chair woods ac and repair it's hot as hell out here so if you're having problems hit up woods top gun law and Randall's equipment all stack brewery drink up out there in Fredericksburg doing it big. And Chip Brown can definitely tell you about AV consultations. Oh, yeah. AV consultations, baby. They, uh, Tom McKay and his crew bring everything to you. You know, for you weekend warriors who are like, oh, I'm going to go buy an 80-inch TV screen and lug it home in my truck, and then I'm going to hang it. No, don't do that. You got, you got other things to do. Let Tom and his crew do it for you. And whether you are trying to, you know, get a big screen big enough for you to feel like you're on the sideline at the games, which you need, uh, or surround sound or surveillance, 
I mean, electronic blinds, you name it, audiovisual consultations does it. You just go to avconsultations.com and, uh, and set up a free consultation. My man, tell him Chip Brown sent you because Tom and his crew have done, my God, my last three houses. <laughs> it, Tom and his crew at AV Consultations have decked it out, baby, and they'll do it for you, too. I know they're getting ready. Uh, Tom texted me the other day after he heard me talking about AV Consultations. He said, because I said, what's Brad Kellner going to have for his AV Consultations setup? And Tom texted me and said it's going to be sick so we'll have to find out how many tvs bk is going to put in his new uh austin residence but uh yeah, yeah av consultations they they just make it so simple all you got to do is go to avconsultations.com set up that free consultation and away you go kids um i'm talking about yeah i mean two o'clock hours they um we talked a little bit about the A.D. Mitchell. Uh, we got A.D. Mitchell today. We also got Xavier Worthy. Xavier Worthy. He is, um, you talk about a guy in a contract year. Yeah, man, the X-Man wearing numero uno. And he looks, he looks confident. He said, I am the fastest guy on the team. No questions asked. I'm like, have we had a race? Did we time in the 40s? <laughs> he said, everybody knows. Everybody knows I'm the fastest guy on the team. Keelan Robinson, I think, might have a, an argument there. But Worthy seems healthy, confident. It's a contract year for him. And, and he's got help. He's got guys on the outside who are going to you know, free him up and take away some of that, that double coverage. What do you think, Zay? You think you think Xavier Worthy or A.D. Mitchell leads this team in receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns? Um, I say that Xavier Worthy leads the team in yards and A.D. Mitchell leads the team in touchdowns. Okay. I, I'm going to go on that, but I'm right there with you, Chip. Like, Xavier Worthy, I think he's got his mojo back. I think he's got his swagger back. If you go look at all the social medias for the Texas Longhorns, and he was mic'd up recently, talk about a guy that's having fun out there. Like, it's 104 outside. It is hot as hell. So to have that type of energy – that he brings and you know he's a leader out there he's out there having fun and like you we talked about earlier with Vince Young and how he made Mac Brown loosen up about you know okay we freestyling on the bus Mac like I'm from H-Town this is what it's all about like you should have known when you recruited me that's how it is and Xavier Wordy he has that type of swagger about him too I love that Mike like the horns put out you know a little thing of him like that was absolutely terrific so i get it i i completely get why he has that swagger back why he's confident because he knows with the guys around him chris jackson coming in from jacksonville again ad mitchell isaiah nair being healthy jordan Whittington, with all the experience that he has he's coming back for another season jt sanders he might be the second tight end taken in next year's draft and then quinn yours you're probably a person that he hangs out with 
maybe the most. I don't know if they're still roommates, but last year they were. And he knows that that dude is for real. So put all that together and Xavier Worthy, he's going to have a very big season, a bounce back season, a lot like what we saw in his freshman year. Yeah, I'm fascinated because Steve Sarkeesian goes out of his way to compliment Xavier Worthy. I mean, and, and rightfully so. I mean, Xavier Worthy had 21 touchdown catches in his first 21 college football games. I mean, that that is that's insane stuff. Um, but I and, and Sarkeesian called those deep shots. We talked about this in that Oklahoma State game was continuing to call them looking for that home run to to try to put that Oklahoma State team away. It didn't happen. But I just can't help but but uh, wonder if Quinn Ewers, even if a play has Worthy as the primary read, if his eye doesn't wander over to number five just because he's that big target who's also got explosive speed, I'm just fascinated by how all that works and, and how Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers has all these weapons and that's what you want. Cause you want the defense to be like, uh Oh, where are they going? And what are we doing? You want to keep them off balance. And the more confident Quinn Ewers is in running this offense, the more comfortable he gets with these receivers and where they're going to be. I just have a feeling his comfort zone is going to take him to number five, but we'll see. I mean, Sark is getting to game plan for worthy in a different way than he had to game plan for worthy last year, because he's got other guys that are going to take the defense's attention away. And so that part of it, I want to see Sarkeesian go to work. Absolutely. And the best offensive minds are the ones that can mix it up to where you have no idea who's getting that ball. You have no clue. And you're right, Chip, Quinn, yours, he can get locked on to one guy. We saw that a little bit too much last year with Xavier Worthy. And you talk about number five, that's being A.D. Mitchell. Like, it could easily happen with him, too. And hopefully Sark and A.J. Milwee have cleaned that up all offseason long, from film to on the field, et cetera. Like, dude, go through your progressions. I know a lot's happening, a lot's happening fast. But, hey, this is what you signed up for. This is what it is. If you want to be one of those elite first-round picks like you've been talking about ever since you came from South Lake Carroll, then, hey, we got to get on it. you got to be better in your decision-making. And, again, if he does that, then the Horns, they shouldn't have any problems. They should be able to score over 35 points a game easy. Like, that's nothing. We should be talking about 40 points a game. Like, they should be putting up those types of numbers. You heard Keenan Robinson say, hey, there's a lot of food to go around. Everybody should get a bite. That's what it is. And if Quinn Ewers understands that and knows going in that, hey, 
maybe some guys are going to get more attention. Maybe I need to do this little check down to Jonathan Brooks or Keelan Robinson so I can live for another day. Or even those moments to where he's getting the pressure on him and he might have to throw it out of bounds or, you know, throw the ball down to where, you know, last year I think he had some of those moments where it went south and he tried to, like, get rid of the ball and it was just a little too nonchalant for me. So just cleaning up those things as a quarterback is going to be huge for him and this team. And I think he's definitely made progress in that this offseason. Well, and for all those listening on the uh, Texas Sports Unfiltered app um, or on the YouTube channel, you want to uh, shoot us some questions, especially those on the YouTube channel who are locked in right into the chat that uh, that we have up. Um you know, fire away with questions because we got all kinds of information up here in our in our uh, brains that are rattling around. Just needs to uh, be culled. Um, and all right, Zay, I think do we do we go with a uh, chip shot at two fifteen and a Zay's take at two thirty? Hey, man, let's roll. Let's get it. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so at 2.15, I'll give you a chip shot. And Zay will give you a Zay's take at 2.30. And, um, you know, here's the thing. And someone, someone, you're going to get questions about the neck pillows, I think, till the end of time, Zay. I, I get it. It was a part of me in radio. In radio. This isn't radio. This is a form of media where you're getting to hear us. Get the app, Texas Sports Unfiltered, TSU, what's going down. Subscribe on YouTube, absolutely. But that was a radio thing, and it was all about comfort. I am in my home. I am very comfortable. So I get it. I get it. The neck pillow was a part of me, but that was in radio. This is a new adventure, and I am embracing being neck rollers. I'm embracing it, you know. You get to see the shoulders a little bit. But I appreciate y'all's concern. I, I, I appreciate that. Well, I call Zay 10 and 5, man. 10 and 5. You know what I mean? <laughs> loud 10 and 5. You got to yell on that rebound, baby. Loud 10 and 5. Let's change that to loud 10 and 5. <laughs> I want Pops. I want Pops Collier to jump on with us at some point. And, uh, oh, yeah. And give us the firsthand account. No, we can get them on now 10 and five on that basketball court. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. We get CC on. I know he got a new laptop and everything. So he'd be good. He'd be good. I love it. Um, Tavondre sweat was also available to the media today. And Tavondre sweat is a fascinating uh, character to me. He's, he's got the NFL body. If you've ever seen the NFL body for a defensive tackle, and I'm just excited to see what I think is probably going to be the most inspired, invigorated version of Tavondre Sweat that we've seen. And again, I heard in the first fall camp scrimmage, he was so dominant against the number two offensive line that they kind of took him off the field to, uh, to, get some of the other guys a chance um, to, you know, hold up. And that that's, that's what you want to hear because Tavondre sweat is, is a specimen. 
And we talked about all the revolving door defensive coordinators that I think frustrated him. I think frustrated Alfred Collins. And now they've been able to settle in with Pete Kwiatkowski and Bo Davis. And, and man, they're walking tall. There is confidence coming out of uh, Tavondre Sweat. And I told you I kind of came, I came across – Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy walking on campus. I said, I heard you guys are just making life miserable for the offensive line. And they were like, yeah, man, that's what we do. <laughs> There's confidence on is. that D-line, Zay. Yeah, and there should be. Those guys are hosses, man. And you talk about Byron Murphy and Travandre Sweat. I love their relationship. Hearing Byron Murphy the other day talk about him and Sweat and how they like to kid around and stuff, and they push each other, and they take a lot of pride at anchoring this defensive line and this defense. And, you know, Bo Davis, he's done a hell of a job with those guys. He's done a hell of a job of helping recruiting and bringing those big guys in to the 40 acres. And you need a lot of them because, you know, you want them to play a lot of reps, but you don't want them to play as many reps to where they get fatigued. You do not want those problems because, again, it's going to be hot out there these first few weeks. It's going to be hot when you go down to Alabama, and you're going to have to have multiple bodies. So I think that's going to benefit guys like Byron Murphy and Travandre Sweat when it comes to the fourth quarter and those guys being available to still give it 100%. That's why it's so exciting to hear – what Alfred Collins has been doing is like, finally, finally, young brother, you coming out of that part of Bastrop, you being a five-star, and you said it, Chip, with all those defensive coordinators and different terminologies and different coaching philosophies, it's tough. Like, it's tough. We think that just because these guys are getting paid now that they're professionals, they still got to go to school. They still go to the University of Texas, which um, – if I can remember, it's still very difficult to graduate. So you still got a lot on your plate. And Sark talked about the other day trying to balance out. Now these guys are back in class this week trying to balance out the football, school, and also having your social life. And for some guys, it takes a little bit longer than others. You know, you're just moved out of your parents' crib. Now you're your own man, all that. You know, temptation. You got walking on the drag and stuff. It can, Austin, Texas, floating the river and stuff. Lake Austin, Barton Springs, et cetera. You can get distracted really fast, which a lot of people have looked at what Austin brings to the table and said, oh, man, that's the reason why these guys aren't locked in and they've struggled for so long because of all of the distractions. So this team, when you've got guys like T-Sweat and you've got guys like Byron Murphy and the confidence that they have, even with Morrow and Keandre Coburn now going to the NFL. I am so excited about this interior line because you could do so much with them. Jare Bledsoe, I heard, has been doing well. Trill Carter, I think he can bring something to the table, too. These guys got a lot to work with, and it's going to be really exciting to see what Pete Kukowski and Bo Davis and Sark all put together when we see Rice next weekend. Yeah, yeah. No, I think those are, are good points. Um, all right, I'm gonna give you a little I'm gonna give you a little chip shot here, and I'm gonna give it to you on Isaiah Nayer, who's kind of been the I don't want to say forgotten man, but a little bit of the forgotten man since tearing his ACL a year ago in fall camp and missing last season. Remember, Isaiah Nayer, six foot three, hundred and ninety pound uh receiver. A, 
similar in skill set and ball skill set to A.D. Mitchell. Now, Isaiah Nair sort of emerged on the scene, catching 12 touchdown passes at Wyoming two years ago. And then, you know, that Wyoming team, who, by the way, is coming to Austin um, on September 16th with a defense that returns 10 starters and is coached by uh, Craig Bull, who's a tough defensive minded guy uh, and a run minded guy after Isaiah Nair caught those 12 touchdown passes at Wyoming um, in 20. He led, he led the mountain West in yards per catch. He was a deep threat uh, personified. He wanted to go get into an offense where he might be able to, you know, get into more of an NFL type system and was this close to transferring to Tennessee when Chris Gilbert, who was the high school uh, liaison for Steve Sarkeesian at Texas uh, at the time, uh, reached out to uh, Arlington Lamar where, where uh, Isaiah Nair was, was going, you know, to high school and of course he ended up going to Wyoming because no one else really um, had offered him. He's another guy who kind of got lost in the, in the, in the shuffle. He was a, he was a basketball guy in Minnesota. And then his family moved down to Arlington and it was the offensive coordinator at Arlington Lamar who spotted Isaiah Nair in his size 15 shoes in a oh, man. in like a typing class and said, Hey, you need to come out to our off-season football conditioning program. And Isaiah Nair was like, Okay. And he, you know, he emerged late. That was his uh junior year. And and so by the time he was on the field doing stuff, there were not a lot of schools dialed in to Isaiah Nair and Wyoming was, was the place. But as I said, he caught those 12 touchdown passes two years ago, wanted to get into a more uh, NFL uh, prolific passing offense, if you will. And was this close to committing to Josh Heupel in Tennessee, but Chris Gilbert kind of made a connection and Texas got in late and pulled Isaiah Nair from Tennessee. And, and so we were all excited about getting to see what Isaiah Nair could do as the deep threat for the Texas offense last year. And then boom, here comes A.D. Mitchell. And the, it's going to be fascinating to see how Steve Sarkeesian rotates these receivers because he's typically not had a big rotation. He likes for the receivers and the quarterbacks to get really in sync, to really know their every, you know, nuance. So they know where each other's going to be and you're not going to get, you know, situations where you're supposed to run uh, a hook and you end up running a, or a stop route. I should say they don't call them hooks anymore. Um, You know, and, and you're not, you're always on the same page and the quarterback knows exactly where to throw it. And, and so Isaiah Nair has been running fast, looking good, making plays. 
Uh, he's not maybe making as many plays or as dynamic of plays as, as A.D. Mitchell, but Isaiah Nair can play and he wants to be great. He wants to go to the NFL. He's not afraid. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see what his role is for this team. Um, because if Steve Sarkeesian's serious about a four man or even a five man rotation, then Isaiah Nair is in that rotation. And that's, that's where you could have all kinds of different types of matchups. You could have, A.D. Mitchell out wide on one side, Isaiah Nair out wide on the other side, and and a four you know four receiver set where you've got Worthy in the slot and Jordan Whittington as an inside receiver on the other side. Um, obviously, that is going to be really interesting when you consider that Sarkeesian tends to be a two tight end personnel guy because he likes to use um, you know Gunnar Helm as the motion guy to try to give the quarterback a tip as to if the defense is in man or zone, who goes with Gunnar Helm or motion a receiver to see if the DBs are in man, if there's a DB going with them or if they're just passing them off. And so Isaiah Nair's got a lot to say. And I think that he's kind of been the forgotten guy and he's, he's a basketball player who can go up and get it. Zay, I know, I know what I know. You know what that means. Yeah, I do. And I would tell every wide receiver to go hoop. You <laughs> might not. I, hey, I, I. There's a spot for you. Ask Randy Moss. Randy Moss couldn't dribble a lick, but he played with Jason White, Chocolate Williams, and you couldn't tell me that basketball didn't benefit Randy Moss to his ridiculous Hall of Fame career. Like, he couldn't dribble a bit. Guys like him, Terrell Owens, even for tight ends, same thing with them. Tony Gonzalez, he played at Cal Berkeley, Antonio uh, um, Gates, you know, all those guys. When you play basketball as a wide receiver, it's going to help you because you understand how to track the ball a lot easier, especially when you're getting rebounds, catching alley-oops, et cetera. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me one bit hearing about Isaiah Nayor having the basketball background. And, yeah, when you hear AC it's not the same as what it was back in the day you know back when you were covering the pony express chip back those days you hear you hear uh, acl man that's it this guy might not ever play again you know yet alone next season so now with modern medicine and how advanced it is i expect him to be back now even though he might be back physically 100 percent mentally is he back you know, is he willing to go across that middle and take, get those contested catches like you talked about in Horns 24-7 today? Is he about getting his nose dirty and taking those hits? Because, again, he had a very gruesome injury. And sometimes it takes the mind a little bit longer to catch up with the body. And, you know, mental health, that's a real thing. So hopefully that's intact. And he's okay in that aspect. And if he is, look out because that just adds more talent to an already talented wide receiver room. And 
you know, when he was coming out of Wyoming, he reminded me a lot of A.J. Brown, who plays for Philadelphia, that completely changed their season last year in that trade from the Tennessee Titans. A.J. Brown being a big guy with some good speed, and he's very hard to tackle. Isaiah Nayor with those double-digit touchdowns that he had at Wyoming, he showed me a lot of that. So, again, at the end of the day, if his psyche is right, if his mentality is there to where he's not thinking about his injury, then I expect him to be fine but you're you're right chip it's very hard for you know in the history of c sarkeesian it's very hard for wide receivers to rotate he likes that just straight up if you're starting you're starting you know i got three guys there and those are going to be my guys for the rest of the game and maybe i might sprinkle in a couple of other guys depending on situation or maybe i have to chew out a guy or who knows but I still think it's going to be very difficult to keep all that talent off the field, even though you know Jordan Winnington, Xavier Worthy, and A.D. Mitchell are probably those three guys that we're going to see day in and day out. Yeah, yeah. Um, Isaiah Nair. Don't uh, don't sleep on Isaiah Nair because – Don't sleep, baby. He wants to be great. And, you know, remember Troy O'Meary? Yes. So Troy O'Meary – Another six foot three, 200 pound guy who was like making crazy catches in fall camp three years ago. And then he tore his ACL and never got right. And I'm telling you, from what I'm hearing, Isaiah Nair is back. And we've seen guys come back from ACL tears at, at Texas. Um, Priest Holmes, for crying out loud, um, you know, had, uh, had injuries at Texas and went on to become the all-time leading rusher at for the Kansas City Chiefs before put Freeze in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, come put on. him in. What are we doing? Come, well, on. come on, you know, Chip. Those years, man. What was maybe like 01 through 03 or 04 or so? I he was in the end zone every Sunday, every Sunday. Oh, he was Goal a line. football points machine. Oh, it was ridiculous, man. Those screen passes, like, and it was out of nowhere. And he was good with Baltimore, but, man, once he got in Kansas City with Trent Green and Tony Gonzalez, man, I'm, if those guys would have had it all together, I, I they should have won a lot more. But, yeah, Priest Holmes, put them in the Hall of Fame, man, him and Jamal Charles. Yeah, how crazy is it that – Priest Holmes becomes the all-time leading rusher for the Kansas City Chiefs and then is replaced by Jamal Charles as the (laughs) all-time leading rusher for the Kansas City Chiefs, who also, by the way, have a Longhorn as their all-time leading tackler. And Derek Johnson is the Kansas City Longhorns, for crying out loud. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And the saddest thing, a Red Raider might be the greatest Chief of all time. Ain't that something? <laughs> Who would have ever thought that? And a guy from that went to Texas Tech might be the greatest chief of all time. I'll probably put him there. He has two Super Bowl rings, two MVPs. Oh, yeah. I, he's definitely number one. Look, the Chiefs before Mahomes and Reed were Marty Schottenheimer. And I, Cowboys fans don't want to hear this because Brian Schottenheimer is kinfolk to to Marty Schottenheimer, but the Chiefs were known for for choking in the end. 
Mm-hmm. And they don't, they're not known for that anymore. Patrick Mahomes, Cliff Kingsbury, man. Cliff Kingsbury pulled him out of White House, Texas. Have you been watching the quarterback Netflix doc? Zach? I have. I'm almost finished. I'm at the yeah. part where you've watched it, right? I almost yeah. spoiled it for you. Okay, yeah. I'm at the part where Mariota gets benched and he gets surgery and stuff. So I'm almost finished. But, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's awesome to, to see Patrick Mahomes um, – in that documentary because you see he's and he's still just a he's, he's a kid at heart yeah um, and he he loves what he's doing he's he loves obviously he loves having Travis Kelsey as his target that's the one guy that will not leave the Chiefs roster while Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback and while Kelsey's got uh you know while he's still in the prime of his career because that's that guy's irreplaceable. That's the security blanket. Yeah, and he's in his mid thirties now. I want to say he's around thirty-four years yeah. old, but I don't see him losing the step. And besides that Darwin James hit that he had last year, where Darwin James picked him up uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers and slammed him pretty good, he doesn't get tackled much. So I I would not be surprised if Travis Kelsey played to his 40s or so, kind of like those guys who had very long careers at tight ends, you know, Tony Gonzalez and them. Rob Gronkowski did it. He had his injury problems. But, yeah, Travis Kelsey, he's the difference maker. As good as Patrick Mahomes is, he wouldn't be able to do it without Big 87. All right, Zay. Um, why don't you give us uh, – and here's a – I don't know – this is where you're going or not. But Sean wants to know as we head into Zay's take, um, any thoughts on how Horns basketball has come together from Sean? Yeah, man, I'll definitely get into that a little bit. You know, it's never too early to get into a little Horns basketball talk also, because that's right around the corner too, right here before you know it. Um, there non-conference schedule is pretty weak besides them playing uh who they got uh louisville besides that game it's pretty weak so they got to take care of business before the conference play comes you add houston to the conference obviously that's a big deal with the success that they've had for kelvin sampson and that crew but this horns team i expect them to be as good as last year you know, it's going to be hard to replace all of that talent that they had. Marcus Carr being first team all Big 12, Serge Jabari Rice being one of the most underrated players in the nation. Now with the Austin and San Antonio Spurs, like Timmy Allen, like he was just good at everything. He was a solid player. Like they had a lot that left. Christian Bishop had his games too. But what Coach Terry brought in is big time. Max Aismas was one of my favorite players in the nation these last few years coming out of Oral Roberts. What he did in the tournament a few years ago with uh, Kevin O'Banner, who went on to Texas Tech, was incredible. He lit up Ohio State. And these last few years, even though he played on a mid-major team like Oral Roberts, for his stature, averaging 20 points a game, when everyone named Mama knows you're the main attraction on the team and you're going to have the ball in your hands. He's seen every single defensive matchup that you could possibly see. So Max Aismas also has been playing pickup ball with Kevin Durant and Trey Young and Devin Booker. So he's been playing with pros in California and training with 
guys like Trey Young, which is going to be huge for his confidence being back here on the 40 acres. So I love that pickup. I expect Tyrese Hunter to pick up where he left off last year at the end of the season. He kind of had a little bit of a slump during the middle of the season, especially when Chris Beard left the team. Tyrese Hunter took a hit, but then he picked it up once February and March came around, and that's where you need to pick it up. I expect him to be more consistent, to be more comfortable, and if he knocks down shots, then this Texas team is going to be scary. But you always worry about Dylan DeSue and his injuries because if he gets hurt, then this team is might have a – very quick exit in the tournament. Like him getting hurt last year in that Sweet 16 game was absolutely brutal. We know he has an ACL injury, him coming from Vanderbilt. So that that scares me a little bit, just him being able to stay healthy because if he's healthy, he's a top five big man in the league. I know Hunter Dickerson's now with Kansas, transfer from Michigan, and he was the number one transfer this year in 2023. But Dylan DeSue, I'd put him right there with Hunter Dickerson. And, again, it's all about health with him, but that push shot floater, you know, just the way that he's able to get to his spots and knock down shots off the pick and roll, Max Aismas and Dylan DeSue pick and roll might be daggum unstoppable this year. So him being available, I like Caden Shedrick coming from Virginia. It's going to be interesting to see if Coach Terry is going to put him and Sue in at the same time. That's a very big lineup, but both of those guys move very well. So that makes sense depending on who you have as guards out there. Ethio Horton, I think, is coming in as a shooter. That's kind of what you're afraid of. They don't have like that pure, pure shooter that a lot of teams have. We saw last year with Jordan Hawkins and uh, UConn winning that national championship UConn had everything they had great guard play they had bigs that could put the ball on the deck they had a big man in Sonogo that you could get the ball to and then they had a lights out knocked out shooter in Jordan Hawkins so they had absolutely everything you don't necessarily have to have absolutely everything to win a national championship but you have to be pretty damn close and I think this Horns team is pretty close so I expect another big season but Everybody has to stay healthy, including Dylan DeSue. And if he does, then the Longhorns expect some big things in 2024. I mean, they they face uh, Shaka Smart and Marquette at That's Marquette. right. That's right. Number That's six, right. Shaka. Oh, Shaka. Those were six <laughs> tough years uh, at Texas. No NCAA tournament wins. Like, Shaka, you can't change, man. You got to do what got you here. That high, intense, high octane pressure you 94 feet that he was doing at Virginia Commonwealth. Like, bring that here. Bring recruit guys that want to play that here. And he couldn't seem to do that. And he had a lot of guys that played hard and such. But, man, that last season, like, when you have three draft picks – and you don't get out the first round, like Greg Brown, Jericho Sims, Kai Jones, they all got drafted in 2021. And you don't make it out the first round, they had to get rid of them. They, uh, Chris Conte had no choice. <laughs> yeah, he had to get rid of them. And we thought they found the right guy. Obviously, that didn't work out. And now Coach Terry, this is a big year for him. This is a huge year for him because now a lot of people are saying that he inherited that team last year for Chris Beard. So now all these guys on the 2024 team, 
these are his guys. So a lot that magnifying glass is going to be locked in on him. Can he bring his guys in and his track record? I love Coach Terry. He's family, but his track record at Fresno State, it was all right. His track record at UTEP, it was all right, but it can't be that at Texas. And again, I think he did a very good job in the transfer portal and recruiting. I know people are still hurt by Ron Holland and AJ Johnson, but we talked about it yesterday that those things are going to happen. Those things are going to happen. And at the end of the day, as long as guys can perform on the court, that's all that matters. And I think he has the right guys to do that. Brock Cunningham coming back in his eighth year, which is absolutely ridiculous, but I think that's huge. So yeah, the roster looks good and I think they could go nine deep. Yeah, I mean, I, I I love I love what Ace Miss brings um, to this team. Midcourt Max, Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith nicknamed him oh. two years ago when he led ORU Oral Roberts into the NCAA tournament. Almost almost pulled off some shocker uh, upsets. I mean, the kid is fearless, and and I love that you throw him with Tyrese Hunter. Uh, you know, Kendall Weaver and uh, and the kid from Central Florida who's just tough. Yeah, that dude, um, he's just not going to back down from anybody. And you got to have that guy. You got to have that tough, that toughness uh, inside and outside. And I think their front court's going to be one of the best in the country, potentially. Like you said, if DeZue stays healthy, you got Caden Shedrick, you got Dylan Mitchell back. Um, Brock Cunningham, dirty work guy, going to do whatever it takes. I, I'm, I'm excited. And Kansas got – Kansas is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you look at Kansas, you're like, who's going to beat them with Hunter Dickinson? Remember last year when Texas beat Kansas in the Big 12 tournament and in Austin, um, you know, they were relying uh, on an inside presence from O'Banner – who he's no Hunter Dickinson. You know, people were getting to the rim on Kansas. I mean, it yeah. was it was pretty much O'Banner and KJ Adams. Yeah. And so now they got rim protection. Texas has rim protection too. And Caden Shedrick, that dude, that dude will block some shots. So I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun, Chip. And Dylan Mitchell, I think him testing the NBA waters, going to the combine, I think that was big for him because he got a lot of confidence and a lot of feedback. I mean, you got to remember, this guy was a top five recruit coming out of Mount Vernon, and everybody was expecting him to just straight up be one and done. And it didn't work out that way. He had a lot of up and ups and downs last season, kind of like when yours, you know, just all that expectation and he didn't pan out to be what we thought he could have been, especially with the track record that the Longhorns have with one and duns. You thought that Dylan Mitchell was going to be one of those guys like, uh, you know, Mo Bamba or even a Kevin Durant kind of. But I, I think that it humbled him. I think he understands that him being a tweener guy, especially at the next level, like he's a little small to be a power forward all the time. And he doesn't have a good enough ball handling to be a straight up small forward. So that's, that's his issue. Now, if he can work on his ball handling and his shooting and coach Terry has confidence to maybe put him at a three, like think about the lineup with Tyrese Hunter, Max Ace Miss, 
Dylan Mitchell out of three, Dylan Dessou and Caden Shedrick. Like, that's a huge lineup, a very athletic, a very fast, dynamic lineup that you could throw out there at times. But a lot depends on has Dylan Mitchell improved with his ball handling and just you know, his personal skills. And I, I I expect all those things to happen. I really do. I expect him to tighten up all of those skills to become a better ball handler, to become a better outside shooter, become more confident. Even last year defensively, he had some laughs, especially in that Miami game. There were times we all know that Miami game, a lot of Florence fans probably think they got hosed, me included. But – there were some self-inflicted wounds. To quote Steve Sarkeesian, there were some serious self-inflicted wounds. And those things that just can't happen did happen. So in your second year with just understanding the game, having another, you know, having a year under your belt with experience, I don't expect those things to happen like last year for Dylan Mitchell. And if he can have a big-time year, then, yo, the Horns should be right back where they were last year competing to play for a Final Four. Yeah, and this uh, this question comes in because I did write about this. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge, um, they're talking to LaMarcus about how he can help. So don't uh, – it, it's that's a possibility for LaMarcus Aldridge to come in as – I don't know, volunteer assistant and, and help with the big men. And, uh, and so that, that is definitely something that is being discussed between LA and, and Rodney Terry. And so stay tuned on that. And, um, you know, when you look at uh, Dylan Mitchell, Zay, I want to ask you, cause I, I was asking could after what he did at the NBA combine hitting what, 19 of 25 threes from the rack could he evolve into a Timmy Allen type of player and I was told if he can just ramp up his defensive intensity and grab every rebound he can possibly grab that would help this team immensely and so uh baby steps for Dylan Mitchell in terms of you know what what he can do and bring to this team, but clearly he's got more offensive talent than he showed last year. Absolutely. If he can embrace defense, I know it sucks. Like nobody wants to play defense and in practice, the defensive drills are horrible and every coach always preaches it. And it's true. It definitely wins championships. If you stop the other team, your likelihood of winning, like it, it goes up out the yin yang, obviously, but I think in high school, Chip, he's so athletic that he didn't have to really understand the X's and O's like you need to at the college level. Like he could get beat back door in high school and recover and block the shot because he was just so much more athletic than everybody. Now that's a dunk, you know, and, and at the kind of big 12 – you get beat back door, that's a dunk or a reverse layup or something that the ball's going in the basket. And I think he had that eye-opening deer-in-the-headlights feel last year. Just, uh, man, I, I didn't, I'm not as athletic. Everybody's athletic out here. I think he had those moments. And if he could tune that up, tighten that up, then 
NBA scouts, they're going to come knocking on this door because that's what you need in the NBA now. You need those big six, eight, six, nine guys that are able to defend because there's a lot of guys like Luka out there and even Nikola Jokic at times has to be guarded by those guys because he's just too quick for bigs. So sometimes you might have to put a smaller guy on them, which small in this case is six, nine. That's not small for you and me, but in the NBA guard somebody like Joker that is small, but you got to just find anything to stop these guys. And if, and again, if Dylan Mitchell embraces defense, offense will come. Like offense, you can work on that any day. But every practice, embracing defense, diving on the floor, getting every rebound, being locked in, understanding your assignments, talking, communicating – then we're going to see the best of Dylan Mitchell. And again, if he does that, sky's the limit for this Horns basketball team. All right, Zay, I want to ask you, have you watched the Swamp Kings yet? The first episode of the Florida I watched Gators? two episodes yesterday. Okay. Yeah, I, I watched two up. episodes yesterday. I got to catch up. Yeah. I'll try and catch up um, so that we can talk about it on the show tomorrow. Because yeah, I'm not uh, gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything, but it's wild. <laughs> it's absolutely wild. That Urban Meyer, he's an absolute character, and yeah, I I know there's more that they could have talked about, but if you wanted Tebow and Urban Meyer and the guys that they had, Brandon Spikes and stuff, then. You can't talk about everything that happened because a lot happened in Gainesville during that time. I don't think Aaron Hernandez was mentioned very much. So I, I, I understand that. But overall, it's been very good. Very good. Yeah, I, I, I want to check it out. I know it's uh, it, you know, to get Urban Meyer's involvement, they had to give up some editing. Um, I don't know some uh, directors cut to urban. So people are, in fact, our man CB is saying it's a fluff piece to redeem urban, (laughs) but just the characters on that team, you know, obviously you've got Aaron Hernandez who, you know, ends up being, um, you know, accused of murder might've been a serial killer. uh, RIP to, Aaron Hernandez. And then you got Tim Tebow, who's, you know, counseling guys in prison about how they need to find faith. I think Tebow should have been spending a little more time counseling Aaron Hernandez, but they won. I mean, they won. They won national championships, man. Yeah. Talk about like a flip of a switch type player. I don't think there's more of a flip of a switch type player than Tim Tebow. The way that, because the way that he's talking in the interviews, it's Tebow, you know, holy Tebow, very calm, well-mannered, well-spoken, like, you know, Tim Tebow off the field, but on the field, he was an animal. The way that he fired guys up, the way that he lifted with the big guys, the O-line, the defensive guy uh, line, just to prove that he belonged to show those guys that, yo, I might be a quarterback, but I'm no punk. Like, it, it, I love Tim Tebow during that era. It was Tim and Colt for me. Those were my guys, just the way Tebow played, running guys over. Like, I'd never seen anything like that, you know. I 
usually quarterback, you're told to slide, run out of bounds. No, Tim Tebow was lowering his head, and he would take guys on a ride. Safety, secondary players, you better buckle that chin strap up when Tim Tebow was coming through because he was serious. And back in that 06 uh, season, the first first ring they won, when he came in, you knew who was getting the ball. Besides that jump pass they had, you knew who was getting the ball, and it didn't matter. They couldn't stop him on those goal line or those, you know, third and threes, fourth and two situations. Like the man, hey, arguably the greatest college football player ever. People say that. I, It's hard to disagree. It really is. I'll, I'll just never forget when Tebow was with the Denver Broncos, and he throws that touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas to beat the Steelers in the playoffs. And – the Broncos brass was like, oh no, we, because they didn't want the guy. Like, that was a Josh McDaniels, yeah. you know, I, I mean, it, that was the great, Tim Tebow's NFL career was the craziest thing because it, it, he obviously was not an elite arm, but he was a winner. And, the Broncos wanted nothing to do with him. He won a playoff game for the Broncos and they couldn't wait to get him off their roster because of the Tim Tebow effect. The guy has fans all over the world because of his faith. And whenever they see him do well, they want to you know, rally around him. And the Broncos are like, we can only get so high with him as our quarterback, even though we won uh, a playoff game and you know they had a pretty good defense and all that but it was just crazy no one wanted Tim Tebow no one wanted the the frenzy that came with Tim Tebow <laughs> in the NFL yeah Long-term. yeah I remember you know uh it's so interesting because he got picked so high and yeah, like he just can't be a backup that's too much of a distraction with a name like him and, you know, the mechanics were there. You have the funky release, which at the end of the day, who cares what your release is like? Can you get the ball to the right person at the right time? Like Philip Rivers had a funky release and he might be in Canton. You know, he's going to bring his 10 kids with him, but he might be there. <laughs> so it, don't tell me about release. That's not it. It's just he wasn't good enough. And. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that some guys could have the best of, hell, 10 days away, Vince Young. Like, his career should have been completely different. And we thought that was going to happen, being rookie of the year on the cover of Madden and stuff. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good you were in college, but all the way back to guys like, you know, Jet George and stuff like that. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't have that right offensive coordinator, if you don't have that right owner or the right head coach putting the right situation around the right guys that are talented, that could help you because we just talked about Patrick Mahomes a little bit. As good as he is, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time at this point, he still has arguably the greatest tight end of all time too and Travis Kelsey. So, so many things have to go right for you to be a quality NFL quarterback, not just the talent that you're bringing in coming from college. And Tim Tebow, you know, with all the good things that he had going for him, he just had too many other things going against him. All right, Zay, as we, uh, as we wind it down here, Brett McMurphy, who does a great job covering 
um, college football for Action Network, um, apparently got the favorite musical artists from all of the Big 12 coaches. And Steve Sarkeesian, uh, his favorite artist is Tupac. Okay, Sark. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Yo, man, look at Sark, man. I mean, I respect that. Hey, you got to respect it too for a guy that took his now wife on a first date to an Ice Cube concert. I know you got to respect that. (laughs) Love me some Tupac. And Sarkeesian, obviously a West Coast guy. West Coast guy. Now contrast that. With Texas Tech's Joey McGuire, whose favorite artist is George Strait. Okay, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. George Strait. Nobody turns on the crowd like George Strait. That's I, I get it. Sonny Dykes. <laughs> Sonny Dykes' favorite musical artist, Dave Matthews Band. Wow. Okay. Mike Gundy, Prince. Whoa, no wonder he has that mullet. Maybe put some jerry curl in it, look like Prince a little bit more. Okay, that makes a lot of sense now with the mullet because basically what Prince had with the jerry curl that's like the black mullet. That's the thing you go find, yeah, a little shag. But I, I, okay, Gundy, I I, I mess with that purple rain era, yeah, man, probably like it's 1999, yes, sir, Prince. He was that dude. I respect that, Mike Gundy. Really do. By the way, Dave Aranda at Baylor and Sonny Dykes both said Dave Matthews Band. Um, Dana Holgerson at Houston. Post Malone. Hmm. I'm okay. I'm okay with Post Malone. I actually went to the Post Malone concert. That was the last concert in Austin before COVID hit. Did you really? Yeah, it was like, and I didn't, I didn't catch COVID from going to that concert. Thank God, because it was packed. I remember seeing Sam Ellinger there. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a posty. Yeah, his his breakout hit "White Iverson." I like that song. I haven't liked much of anything else that he's put out. Like, I don't know why. Maybe he's a little too commercial for me, a little too mainstream. But I, I see the vibe. I understand why he's big. It makes a lot of sense. But that's interesting that Dana said post Malone. Very, very interesting. Oklahoma coach Brent Venables, favorite musical artist, Kane Brown. Mm. Chris Kleiman's favorite musical artist, Cole Swindell. Okay. Lance Leipold at Kansas, Kenny Chesney. Yeah, I don't think anybody's beating Sark out. <laughs> Matt Campbell uh, at Iowa State, Van Halen. Solid. Kalani Sataki at BYU, Bob Marley. He has that type of vibe. Laid back. He, he has, even though he's an intense guy, he has that. He seems like he has that type of vibe off the field. Little Bob Marley to calm the nerves. I dig it. Gus Malzahn at Central Florida, the Cars. Now that's that's old school, man. <laughs> Gus Malzahn is he's like the Cars was like when I was growing up. Yeah. Malzahn's how old is Gus Malzahn? 
I bet he and I are probably the same age. What was the car's head? Oh, he's two years older than I am. He's 57. Okay. What was the car's car's head? If you say it, I'd I'd recognize it. Um, I thought it was Let's Go, but I could be – I'm terrible with names of songs, but they – Rick Ocasek. Yeah, they had some uh, I'm terrible. I know they had hits. Oh yeah. Let's let's uh here we go. A drive, good times roll, yeah, let's go. Um those are probably their three biggest hits. From um Let's Go came out in 79, Let the Good Times Roll came out in 78. And Drive came out in 1984. You think they're still touring? No. No. I don't even know if Rick Ocasek is still alive. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, some guys pass away, but and the band the keeps the going. Band members, yeah, and the band keeps going. The Queen. Yeah. We got uh, Adam Lambert now singing um, for Freddie Mercury. And Queen is coming here for F1. There we go. That's the that's the game that uh, Texas, I think, is at Houston. So I got to find out. I need that Texas-Houston game to be at like 11 a.m. <laughs> oh, man. I could see I that happening. Here for, for Queen, I mean, now I know that's like, you know, some people are like rolling their eyes, but, man. Yeah, you're showing your age there, Chip. That dude was a showman. I'm but he ain't kidding. there, though. I know. But he he, he created those songs. It was uh, – I'm, I'm down with Queen. That's I'm down true. with Queen. Hey, Sark, Tupac. That's big, man. West Side, little California love, man. Tupac was incredible. Man, he was so versatile. He had so much range from – his acting chops, you know, he's basically a philosopher off the mic and stuff. And he did get into a lot of trouble and was in tabloids and papers all the time. But, yeah, gone too soon and made a ton <laughs> of music, even though. <laughs> CB says Brett McMurphy also has Texas versus USC in the Alamo Bowl this year. All right, well, we'll see yeah, about that. that. We end on that one, CB. That's a good way to take us out. That's a good way to take us out. But appreciate everybody today on Chip and Zay. Chip, episode three, man. Have a blast. See you tomorrow, my guy. Stay tuned for BK. I see him. I see him in the bullpen. Am I bringing him on? Am I bringing him on right now? I wasn't told. I didn't know he had anybody coming on. No? No, he's just. I just coming on? Oh, you're muted. I'm done for the you're day, done. just right. like you guys. I'm just making sure y'all uh, get off the air when, when you're ready to roll. All right. Hey, BK, appreciate you, Doc. And uh, as they said, thanks for everybody for playing along. Let's do it again tomorrow, one to three, right here on the Texas Sports Unfiltered YouTube channel and app. Make sure you're downloaded. Uh, you're downloading that uh, Texas Sports Unfiltered app so that you're getting all, you're taking us with you. Just get a USB cord for your car, plug it in, 
and you're listening to us in crystal clear stereo wherever you go. Thanks, everybody. I'll be cool.